Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to a bonus episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where we get down, dirty, nitty and gritty with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Let's get into this, Lee. I don't know if I'm ready for this, Tim. (laughs) I'm Tim Ifland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies, and this week it's Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now, I mentioned I'm not quite ready for this, Tim, but we're going to do it anyway. Zack Snyder's definitive director's cut of Justice League is finally here. Determined to ensure Superman's ultimate sacrifice was not in vain, Bruce Wayne aligns with Diana Prince in plans to recruit a team of metahumans that will protect the world from an approaching threat of catastrophic proportions. Sound familiar? It should, because the original movie came out in, what, 2017? 17, yes, four years ago. But my goodness, how much has changed and the journey that everyone has been on to get to this point. But quickly, let's just rattle off uh, who's involved in this project. Directed by Zack Snyder, of course, with a screenplay by Chris Terrio and story credit from Zack Snyder, Chris Terrio and Will Beale. Now, the movie, of course, stars all our favourite heroes, Henry Cavill, Ray Fisher, Gal Gadot, Amy Adams, Ben Affleck, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller and Jared Leto returning. Yes, can't wait to unpack that moment in this film a little later Mm. on. He does make a bit of a cameo, makes a big impact. But, Lee, here we are four years on since 2017's theatrical cut of Justice League where Joss Mm. Whedon came in, Warner Brothers were pissed off, Zack Snyder had left the project for uh, creative and, sadly, personal reasons Mm. as well. We got what is known as Justice League. Or Justice League, as it's also known. I've actually never heard it be called Justice League. Far out. How come I haven't been saying that for four years? 
Oh, what a missed opportunity. I, I love a pun, Lee. Bloody hell. I know, I, lo- I do too. Now, warning, folks, we are going to be talking spoilers because there's no way to do this without that. I guess the film came out about a week ago now from, from recording this, so we feel very confident that those that are dying to have seen this have seen it so we can talk really openly and freely on, on the pod today. Well, let's kick off with how this version compares to Justice League or Joss Whedon's version. <laughs> Look, okay, in terms of like an opening statement, I think mm. it certainly triumphed in writing the wrongs of the theatrical cut of the film. Mm. It's like apples and oranges, really, mm. in it's extraordinary that both versions now exist and that they couldn't be more different films from each other. So that's kind of where I'm going to start. How about you? Yeah, I'll agree with you there. It's certainly a completely different film, a huge improvement. I'll give you that but I think mm. it came with its share of problems still. Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. I actually can't <laughs> wait to uh, delve into this. But again, I think just as an overarching statement from me is that it, it did feel epic and yep. quite sweeping at times. I think that's mm. Zach's main shtick here is that his films, he always wants them to be and feel and exist as epic stories. And... I think it succeeded in telling or presenting a much more comprehensive plot and series of events, Mm. a much more coherent narrative and definitive tone. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with you there. It's a more coherent story, although somewhat bloated in places, and we'll get Mm. into that a bit later. But it's it's extremely well-received by fans, and rightly Mm. so. There's a lot of emotion behind this and the campaign to get it made, but it's hard to know if its success is being seen through the lens of comparison. Do you know what I mean? So it's Mm. relative to Joss Whedon's version because that was so, so bad. Mm. Mm. Look, uh, I recently watched the theatrical cut of Justice League in preparation Mm. for the Snyder cut. And so very fresh in my mind and interpretation of Snyder's version is the comparison between the two. And it it is extraordinary how different these films are. And I think a piece of trivia that's really key to pull out here is that Snyder has actually never seen the theatrical version of Justice League. Really? He left... Yeah, he's never seen it. The the Nolans, uh, as in Chris Nolan, who created the Dark Knight trilogy, he was Mm. an executive producer on DCEU and and, and this film. He said you can't watch the theatrical version, and (laughs) so he never has. Well, then how does he know it was so bad? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's... You've been living under a fucking rock if you didn't hear whispers of how bad Justice League was. I mean, like, it was just unescapable. But I mm. think that's really important to know is that Snyder himself was untainted or untarnished by mm. the theatrical version. He has initially, he's just literally delivered his version without any interruption or, or influence, mm. I suppose, through his lens anyway. And that's a dangerous thing, don't you think, when you're given free reign? On one hand, you can leave in all your favourite shots, every single one, and the ones that might not serve the story. But you know what? Maybe he's got the right to do that because this is his do-over. Yeah, it is absolutely his do-over. And if I may pull out one thing, Lee, and I'm, I'm keen to dig this up a little bit more with you, is what is so evident here is the amount of power editing holds Mm. It completely 
influences the success of a film. And what fascinates me about this version of the film and comparing to Snyder's cut with the theatrical cut Mm. is that there are certain scenes that in adding more context through perhaps its extended takes, Mm. alternate takes, unused footage, it gives a whole new shape to a scene. So there's a few that jump out at me is the bank robbery scene with Mm -hmm. uh, Wonder Woman. So different in how it was edited together in actually telling you what the fuck was going on because it made no sense in the theatrical cut. It was just so, Mm. so random. The ancient battle, the meeting of Bruce and Aquaman and things like that, even that big scene, the car crash with the Flash, a whole new scene. And I think there were certain choices made to remove certain elements in theatrical cut when it worked so much better in the context of how Snyder chose to edit his scenes together. Yeah, editing just was a huge part of, of this of this version. One thing I really loved just on what you just said is that there was room to really feel Superman's death and the impact that that was having on the world and the characters that mean a lot to him because it was completely sidelined. And that was the whole point of this damn movie is that it was a reaction mm. to what happened in Batman versus Superman. And I think that what this version did really well was it went straight in there. It was an incredibly dramatic opening where it recounted his death again. And then the ripple effects that that set off that gave a lot more meaning and context to the mother boxes, right? And mother boxes. What a terrible name. Tesseract is much better. Tesseract was way much better. But uh, <laughs> dare we go down the MC rabbit hole no. here? We probably unavoidable, no. but. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I also really enjoyed is that there was more character development. Oh, yeah. With all the characters, but especially so with Barry Allen and Victor Stone, who are the Flash and Cyborg, respectively. And even the villains, Steppenwolf and Darkseid. Mm. Getting to see yeah. Darkseid. Yeah, exactly. But uh, on, on Ray Fisher, he was the most undercooked character th- in the theatrical cut. And I agree with you that uh, he, he really stands tall in this version. He actually got mm. a voice <laughs> yeah. uh, and it offered a lot more light and shade to the overall story. And yes, yeah, Steppenwolf was infinitely better in this version. Mm. Aesthetically, his design was yeah. completely different. And his character, like motivation and development actually existed. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, exactly what I was going to say. He's not a one-note villain. Yeah, he was so boring in the theatrical version. He just kind of showed up, said some really weird shit, and then Mm. died. So, like, in this one, he actually had a bit more substance to him. Yeah. And he was grounded in a lot more uh, mythical context in how they kind of explained why he was there and what he was trying to do and then, you know, working for Darkseid, like you mentioned, um, as an as an additional villain in this version. I've seen a lot of memes going around on the internet lately that um, are all about Darkseid's 50,000 worlds debt. Like, you might be having a bad day, but are you in 50,000 worlds debt? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't lent into the memes for this yet. I've just no. been on holidays, so I kind of, like, watched it until, like, 20 to 1 in the morning because it goes oh, for four hours and then I have to like bugger off for a week. So here we are. Yeah. And I've yeah, missed all the memes. Lay them on me. I want them all. One thing that's really great is that they took the time to bring all the pieces together and provided more context around where everyone's at following Batman versus Superman. And importantly, what's going on elsewhere, like in the kingdom of Atlantis and Themyscira. I loved that we got to go back there and see the Amazons doing their thing. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the moments in the film 
that just had so much more meat on the bones was that Amazonia mm. uh, scene more towards the beginning and the importance that they had in the narrative of Steppenwolf as well, right? Mm. Yeah, because a lot of characters were just sidelined in Josh Whedon's film and this is supposed to be an ensemble flick. So we need those characters. Okay. So I think that brings me to my point about the the length of the film being mm-hmm. being four hours is that highlighted still how overstuffed and ambitious this film was, attempting to introduce so many unestablished characters will Mm. never work, no matter how you cut it, be it two hours or four hours long. And I think that the DCEU failed in not setting up characters with their own individual films prior to the Justice League, Mm. leaving far too much groundwork to cover off before anything really happens. And did they not learn that lesson in Suicide Squad? Well, I I know, but I think that the context is that Suicide Squad came out in 2016, Mm. only a year before Justice League. So, they couldn't right their wrongs there. They were kind of, they were fucked. And then obviously what was released was, you know, that piling Mm. steam of shit. And then here we are four years later with this version. But it took Snyder four hours to do this in some way, but it still felt out of place and confusing Mm. as to why they didn't take the time to get through solo films first. So, even though they were successful in actually establishing the ensemble cast here, it still highlighted a serious issue with the DCEU that couldn't be fixed in this version. Can we talk about the script for a second too? Because Mm. that was pretty woeful. I don't like... (laughs) I'm going to get serious here for a second. I don't like the way the women are written. There's like this Mm cliched idea of what a man thinks a woman wants to see and here, and it comes across in like heavy-handed lines and responses, like that scene with Wonder Woman in the bank that's meant to be inspirational, but just comes mm. off really hammy. And then don't even get me started on Superman and his not impressed line. Like all I could think of was not happy, Jan. <laughs> Which moment was that? When he returns to the fight and comes flying in and Steppenwolf hits him with his axe thing on the shoulder and he just looks at it and goes, not impressed. And it just felt so out of character, don't you think? (laughs) Yes. Look, the script in these films are never going to win Oscars, like ever. No, but come on. No, oh gosh, I'm not defending. I'm not defending this film in any way (laughs) about its script because it is incredibly self-indulgent, I think is probably a good word to use here. You know, the script isn't used to do anything else other than, like, say, overzealous things to incite a reaction or a a fist pump moment and whatever. Things like not impressed. It's like, well, how how are you meant to react to that? Is that meant to be a really cool moment? Like, or is it meant to make you cringe? (laughs) And it's not something that Superman would say. Like, I just really didn't Mm. feel in character for me. Can we talk about the music as well, because yes. we know that yes. Zack Snyder really enjoys these sentimental, nostalgic, like Leonard Cohen mm. songs. And I understand that Hallelujah has personal significance because it was his daughter's favourite song. So that's right. why he's used it here and I can understand. But the rest of the music was just as sentimental. Yeah, he used the Hallelujah song in one of the first trailers, didn't mm. he? I think yeah. so. It's it's a really big character in the context of this film, absolutely. Yeah, the use of music is very significant here, especially, sorry, but in comparing the theatrical cut to, to this version, mm. 
it's unmistakably putting his stamp on the film mm. because what Snyder does uses popular music and couples it with like slow mo to the point of nauseam. Mm. My God, he loves a bit of slow mo, doesn't he, Zack Snyder? The film probably ran three and a half hours, but <laughs> with the slow mo, it was a half an hour of fucking slow mo. I was going to say an hour, <laughs> but you're probably right. <laughs> I was being far too generous, yeah. but yeah, I like I like that stamp that creative flair that he does use is it effective yes but when it's used so often it becomes really Mm. tiresome how did you feel about his constant use of this technique of slow-mo and and coupled with music as well yeah it did become tedious for me it did it sounds like we're just absolutely ripping this movie apart but i mean there were (laughs) some some fantastic aspects of it wasn't there i mean let's talk about the special effects for example Mm. infinitely better and it's such a shame that we didn't get to see this on the big screen. Are you chuckling because you yeah. want to talk about Henry Cavill's lip? Well, every time you talk <laughs> about special effects in this film, you just instantly go to top lip gate, don't you? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, thank God his lip oh, was restored. Why couldn't that have been done the first time? Well, what that does, Lee, is, is highlights how much unused footage of Soups was sitting on the cutting room floor and how much Joss Whedon reshot of Superman because it feels like about 90% Mm. of the footage used of Henry Cavill in the theatrical cut had that god-awful CGI upper lip because, uh, listeners, he had a moustache because Mm. he was filming... Mission Impossible. Mm. At the same time, Paramount wouldn't let him shave it off. Warner Brothers were left with a moustache Superman going, what the fuck do we do? We need to basically reshoot the whole film. Mm. Uh, So they just awfully cgi uh in post and oh my god you cannot imagine anything worse okay so what you're saying is that the footage it wasn't that it was digitized better or you know the cgi was better it was that it was using footage that had originally been shot when he didn't have a mustache so Zack snyder has said Mm. that he didn't use a frame that was reshot for the theatrical cut that joss whedon wrote and directed and filmed yeah so he Meow. only used footage that Snyder caught in camera during principal photography. So, yeah, th- that footage was not thrown into the mix here. So, that's why we never got up a lip gate right. in the Snyder Cup because it was never used. We get some epic battle scenes. Fantastic. I just, yeah, I wish we'd seen it on the big screen. But going mm. back to the excessive slow motion, one thing <laughs> that struck me is that it was like the Flash was surprised by his powers every single time and we got this really indulgent slow motion of him running, which I understand was partly to put you in a frame of mind of him when everything's going so Mm. fast because it would just be boring to watch him zipping around everywhere. But it was like he was like, wow, man, (laughs) look at me go. And then he tripped and stacked it and slammed into someone or inevitably, you know, stuffed it up. And you can't avoid it when you're making a film that's four hours long because you kind of have to do the same thing a few times. And, yeah, it kind of took away from the impact. Do you think that by its very nature the film was maybe less impactful because we knew the major plot points going in? I mean, nobody's counting that against it, obviously, because it's it's a do-over, you know, it's a second chance. But do you think that's maybe where some of the underwhelm comes from? Yes. I think that one of the things that made me realise how long it was and take away some of the impact mm. was that it took three hours before Superman came back from the dead. 
Yeah, like he was back from the dead in half that time in the theatrical version, like an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 20 minutes in, he was back. Mm. In this, three fucking hours had passed before they'd even resurrected him. And I'm like, holy Jesus. It's like, <laughs> how is, are we only just here now? Oh, and we still have an hour to go. So, I don't know. That was something that really was laborious for my viewing experience here. How about you? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Give us more Superman. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? More Superman. More Superman. Um, I think we just need more Henry Cavill in general. So, um, yeah, not alone there. (laughs) So do you think this would have been better served as a four-part miniseries rather than a film? Well, what was interesting about how it was cut together was that it still felt episodic in nature, didn't it? Mm. Because there were all these title cards that came out to introduce a new Mm. section of the film. How did you react to that? Because I wasn't expecting it because it was meant to be a four-hour movie. Well, my brain instantly went to, okay, there's only four parts, and then it got to the fourth part, and then it was like part five, and I was like, eh? Yeah, that's It's still going? (laughs) There was like seven or eight parts, I reckon. I can't remember, to be honest. At least I didn't fall asleep during this one. Oh, Lee, I'm really proud. But did you watch it in one sitting, though? I did. No, I didn't, did I? No, I didn't. <laughs> I watched it in two sittings. Let's talk about the character design because we are ripping into this, it feels like. And I don't want to do that mm-hmm. because I was I was quite impressed with this film. Like, it, it was enjoyable to watch, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I opened saying that it certainly felt sweeping and epic. And mm-hmm. a lot of that comes down to the visual aesthetic that Snyder brings to his films and the character Mm. design. So what do you want to call out specifically here? Um, Well, the design of Steppenwolf that we've Mm. already sort of touched on was rectified and people seem to be really happy with that. He seems more um, imposing, if you will, more foreboding and fearsome. His design was fascinating and I was quite, um, what is it, hypnotised by him Mm. in a way. And I think that was the choice in how they designed his costume because it was kind of felt like, these organic pieces that kept Mm. moving kind of like a wind chime and it was like reacting to his movement and his and his sound and everything and Mm. I thought that was a really compelling choice and so different to what we had seen in the theatrical cut. I still don't like the bugs I'd hoped that they would change those mosquito things. (laughs) I felt like they did look a little different didn't they? At least they weren't the major focus. I think that was the problem Mm. in the theatrical cut or in the Justice League version that there was less focus on Steppenwolf and on the big villains and it was more on this hive of weird, annoying mosquito things that I just could not take seriously. Yeah, they were a little bit comical, kind of something out of a 70s TV show, Mm. like a whole bunch of witchy poos flying around in HR Puff and stuff. (laughs) Witchy poos. God. Can we talk about Mira's accent, please? What is going on with Amber Heard's accent? I don't remember her talking like that in Aquaman. Did they scratch that after this film? Yeah, I was very confused by her accent choices. Really displacing and strange. <laughs> it was very, um, come on, governor, where's me Aquaman? <laughs> See, this is what happens when I record with a glass of wine in me. I do voices. It's not good. <laughs> More of this, please. No. Uh, do you want to talk about Marvin the Martian, as you referred to him, or also correctly <laughs> yes, okay. correctly known as Martian Manhunter? Yeah, I uh, yeah, I do have a note here going, and them setting up Marvin the Martian. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Martian the Manhunter. 
uh, look, this was a casualty of how you fill four hours of a film. And I think that uh, this brings us to the context of the Snyderverse and what that means Mm. now and moving forward, right? Mm. And I think that the inclusion of Marvin the Martian in (laughs) Zack Snyder's Justice League was quite... Referring to him as Marvin the Martian. (laughs) I'm imagining Marvin the Martian with his little um, Roman armour coming up to Batman. Literally, that's what's getting me through. Getting me through this. Look, I, I found his inclusions quite unnecessary. It was right. like, "Hi, I'm here. I want to help, but not before. You guys seem to be all right. Mm. Only now. Uh, my name's, you know, Martian the Manhunter. Okay, see you. Bye." <laughs> yeah, it's like what? When he popped up in the movie and he went to Lois Lane, I mm. thought I had missed something really major, and I was like, "Wait, hold, hold on. Who's that? What?" What's going on? It was strange that they waited until the end of the movie or inserted him into the middle of the movie. You know, it should have been one or the other. Yeah, I I think that the end credit scene or towards the end of the movie would have made a lot more sense and impact if we didn't see him shoe-fisted in halfway through because it didn't add anything to the story. No. It ultimately, and this is what I want to talk to you about, is the Snyderverse, right? Mm. So what frustrates and disappoints me about this director's cut is that it lives completely separate to the trajectory of the DCEU. That's what Warner Brothers and Zack Snyder have confirmed. So why were there such clear choices made to introduce characters and subplots here? Why did the film allude to things to come when they never will, or at Mm. least not in the way Snyder envisaged? To me, it's simply Snyder flipping the bird and wanking at the same time. Just no fucks given, basically. Yeah, it's definitely saying to the fans, here, this is what you missed out on. Suck it, Warner Brothers. Now everyone's <laughs> going to be angry with you. Like, Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like that. Um, yeah, it just sets up a DC universe that we're never going to see. And I think, but mm. look, on the other hand, let me play devil's advocate here for a second. People wanted to see it especially with the Joker stuff and the alternate realities Mm. things, people really, really wanted to see that stuff because they were so excited about it. And it was also correcting a misstep with Jared Leto's Joker too. This felt darker. This felt more truer to to what the Joker or what you would expect the Joker to be. Mm, Absolutely. Can we talk about that scene Mm. that Leto is in? So it's kind of, let's give you some context. It's right at the end. Mm. It's like a dream sequence that Bruce Wayne has, kind of like a premonition, right? Is that Was yeah. that your interpretation? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it kind of has all these different characters within the DCEU in it, and it's like reflective of an alternate universe. And the Joker or Jared Leto is sitting there talking about how he murdered Robin, right? Yeah. And it sets up all these like, oh, your brain goes wild and you want to know mm. more and what does this mean about certain timelines and characters and what's mm. the relationship between the Joker and Batman. There's something established there. But as he said, lol soz, uh, no more of this. <laughs> <laughs> like, when it's never going to develop out further. It's ne- there's no, not going to be any answers. One thing I found confusing to see was that Deathstroke was introduced, played by Joe Manganiello, and he's set up as an enemy in one scene and then mm. working as part of the devastated team in the next and obviously, mm. we know Joe has his own film coming out. That is happening. So, I can understand why he was included, but that dichotomy of, like, I'm a good guy, I'm a bad guy, I'm a good... Like, what is going on? Yeah, and those scenes were very close to each other. So, it's the one yeah. on the yacht with... Lex Luthor. 
and then in this dream sequence. So, yeah, it's very confusing. And then, okay, so what version are we getting in his standalone film? Are we getting yep. either of those versions or a whole new one? So it kind of, it's again setting the DCU up for fucking failure because there's never been a clear plan or path for the for their interwoven universe. So um, as exciting as it is to see this stuff, like what's the point? All right, I feel like we need to end on some positives here. So what were your favourite things about Zack Snyder's Justice League? Okay, good shout. I really liked that Ray Fisher got more to do here, the Mm -hmm. cyborg character. He made a lot more sense. He had literally human elements to him that we did not get to experience. We got to know who he was, for God's sake, like crucial in a character Mm. development uh, for the audience. So I thought that was really special. And he's one-fifth of this team, so he's kind of important. Yeah, super, super important and quite crucial in the version of this film in terms of the link to the mother boxes and everything. So really weird that he was so undercooked initially. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the visual aesthetic of Zack Snyder films, Mm. but I think that it really worked here. I think visually it was really, really stunning Mm. um, and he didn't hold back in pulling his vision together in some way. And the other thing I really liked was that it was a call to arms that was actually realised, a fandom that came together to say, this is what we want because we were wronged, and it actually came mm. to fruition. I think that's extraordinary, yeah, absolutely extraordinary. I completely agree with you on all those points. I'm glad that we got to see more of these characters who are central characters and also the supporting characters and the Amazonians and a bit more of Atlantis. And it did have me wondering hang on a minute, where does that fit in again? Like the Aquaman stuff, I had to remember mm. where he was at for that film and that that period in the DCEU. But the visuals were spectacular and it's such a shame that we didn't get to see it on the big screen because it would have just been phenomenal. It was fantastic as it was, but on the big screen it would have been next level. I think he's really nailed it there. And just the emotion and the heart that was in this film and behind mm-hmm. this film – I loved it. Shall we wrap up then? All right. I'm going to come to like a popcorn kernel rating at the end. Hopefully I kind of make sense of this before I get there. So is Zack Snyder's Justice League better than the theatrical cut? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is it successful as a superhero ensemble film that succeeds in delivering a comprehensive story, complex characters, and propels you into a world you can't wait to explore more of? Kind of. Mm. This film is a big fuck you to Warner Brothers and the haters, but it is also a seemingly pointless and self-indulgent exercise brought on by a powerful fandom movement. However, I am glad that we got to see this and discuss Mm. today as it is unlike anything like that we will ever cover off on the podcast again. So it's a pretty exciting time. So I'm going to rate Zack Snyder's Justice League two and a half popcorn kernels. Wow. (laughs) I'm keen to hear your wrap-up and rating, Lee. Very, very keen. Okay. Well, I'm on board with what you're saying, definitely. Overall, Zack Snyder's Justice League should be celebrated as a massive achievement in filmmaking. And the fact that it united a fandom and its cast in solidarity with the director to bring this original vision to life makes it a rallying success. I personally still find it a solemn, sometimes taxing watch. It's missing the joy that superhero films should have. 
aside from the incredible special effects and ass-kicking action, which I loved and which there's no doubt Justice League has in spades. You could argue with me and say that DC is darker and that's the point, but that's not my point. <laughs> there are still... There is still a great number of flaws and it's the most expensive piece of fan service you'll ever see in this lifetime. But there's more than enough heart and hard work put into this vision to make it worthy and enjoyable. So I'm going to give Zack Snyder's Justice League three popcorn kernels. I think you really encapsulated everything that this film was about and trying to be. And yeah, I, I think we've wrapped it up pretty well, I think. Ditto, Tim. Good job. Lots to cover off, especially when you watch a four-hour movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think we kept it pretty restrained. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Plenty more to unpack. So, you know, when we release this episode, you're listening to it now, obviously. Mm. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Have you seen this director's cut? How do you see it compare and stack up within the DCEU and as a superhero movie in, in itself? We'd love to hear from you. Please tell us. Jump on our social media sites and let us know. Well, that's it for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Go check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you to listen to. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run giveaways, so keep an eye on the website for more information. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.